like what you and I are into and what we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. it might not be for everybody. Like, right, trying I mean, to kill big deer. We're talking about hunting big mature whitetails. Yep. If you don't like it, sorry. Perfect. Hello and welcome everybody back to the Painted Arrow podcast. Uh, have a really good friend on the phone today, Aaron Olson with Next Step Outdoors. And uh, I got to thank you. This is probably the third consecutive year that you've been on. Does that sound right to you? Yep. I think three is correct. It's really wild. You hear sometimes like when you listen to podcasts, like you hear people like say, you know, this is the this is the 10th year that we've been doing podcasts. We've, we've not been doing this for 10 years, but it's crazy to just, you know, look back and just see like, wow, it really has been three years and we've been doing this. Like this is a, like you're considered a, you know, a regular almost, but a return guest on the podcast. And that's pretty cool. I think. Well, hopefully I have something new to share this time. (laughs) I think you have a, like every year now, it seems like you, you do these early season hunts. And for whatever reason, I'm not doing those. I'm at home working or whatever I'm doing at that time. But, you know, this is a time of year, September, right? Everybody's in Michigan where you originally were from. But um, most states open in October time frame for bow hunting. And this is like a time where everybody's like, you know, getting really psyched up, getting really ready. And so you just came back from a from a really good hunt. And I thought this would be a perfect time to bring you on and um, you know, you're one of the few guys that are really out there pounding it hard, pounding the public, doing it right, scouting and like actually putting forth extreme effort to, to, you know, fill the freezer and, and have these experiences on public land and, and get the most out of it, I would say. But I'm really interested, um, to just dive into your hunt and share with our listeners, um, you know, some of the information that you had, some of the lessons that you learned and just this hunt. So, um, if you will kind of lay out like what you did to prepare for this, have you been to the area before? Kind of, kind of set the stage for us, if you would, Aaron. Definitely, not, and I appreciate the the kind remarks. Um, I started doing these early season trips, like you said. I'm originally from Michigan, so the October first opener, and I I started doing these. This might have been my fifth or sixth year doing these trips, and it was just a way to extend my season. You know, start sometime in September, get another week or so of hunting under my belt, work out the kinks and, you know, generally go to states that have a little bit higher, uh, trophy potential. That's the goal. At least it doesn't always seem to work out that way. Um, but this year was unique. I had, I had done a lot of off season scouting with plans to hunt Kentucky this year. Um, Kentucky is one of those states that opens up earlier in the year. And so I made, I think, two or three trips down there over the winter and did a bunch of off-season scouting. And that was kind of my plan going into the season, um, like you're about to be. I just became a, a father pretty recently, so I didn't think I'd get the green light to go too far from home. And being in Ohio now, um, Kentucky just kind of made sense. But I had actually been invited to hunt with a group of guys, um, Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA. Um, he's been doing a camp. Um, every every year in this general region, not the specific part of the state. And I mean, if you want to dig into it, you can probably figure out what state we were in. But um, just for the sake of avoiding spot burning and putting uh, 
additional eyeballs on on areas we'll just say somewhere west of the mississippi a lot of those western states open up um sometime in september um so i got invited to go out there with him he had a group of a good group of guys we had an awesome deer camp there was uh, alex and his crew from whitetail dna sam soholt was out there with the public land bus um there was a couple guys from from redline uh bow hunting and just a couple buddies out there but we had a blast um they only stayed for five days and then i extended my trip and was out there for quite a bit longer than five days but um yeah man it was a good time so you know what what are some of the things i guess like do you really look forward to these early season hunts just to like knock the rust off like that that's kind of how i see like when i look at early season whitetail hunting like specifically with Kentucky, I've done an early season Kentucky hunt. Like for me, the, the couple of times that I have done that, that really made me feel super confident, like coming back home. Like, I feel like I know my gear a little bit better. You know, I you kind of adjust some things year to year. Do you have like a lot of that feeling? Oh, totally. I, I think naturally, you know, people get busy with life and everything. So a lot of times you wait until the last minute to make any gear adjustments or to stealth strip your climbing sticks or whatever it is. And at least this forces me to get things done a month earlier than, than it would have regularly. But yeah, it seems like almost every year, the, the first sit this year, I, I did pretty good, but I feel like the first sit of the year is usually a disaster, whether it's climbing the tree or forgetting something or, you know, it's just, it's just a mess. And that way you can kind of work out the kinks. And that way, when you get back home or, you know, whatever you get into for the rut hunts, um, you're, you're a little more dialed, a little more prepared, but this time I was, I was, I'd put a lot of thought into my setup and was pretty well, well prepared, but yeah, it totally helps kind of get both your gear and your mentality right heading into the rest of the fall. Yeah. So were you like uh, truck camping or did you have an Airbnb? How did you do that? Yeah, we camped. Um, so the, it's a, it's not a short drive. So I basically sleep in my, whenever I do longer trips, I sleep in I, the back of my Explorer, my Ford Explorer. Um, I got a pretty good sleep set up in there and a pretty good system to manage my gear. So there's room for me to sleep in there. And then I slept in a tent the whole time, which when we, when we got there, it was like, you know, 95, hundred degrees. We were going swimming during the daytime to, uh, to cool off before we'd go hunting. But by the end of my trip, it was getting down to the low thirties at night. And I just had like a slumber, summer weight sleeping bag and, you know, tent camping solo was, <laughs> not i was not i was not prepared for the you know near freezing temps yeah that's that's brutal Even when it's either of the extremes where it's really hot or really cold that sucks like especially when you're sleeping in your car because you're like trying to start the car and you know put the windows up or down and that's that's always fun so oh yeah but i think that's interesting to know because it, it, that adds a whole different element of the hunt you know what i mean yeah that was my first time i, I don't i mean this this was by far my longest trip ever and, but usually like in the past I've gotten an Airbnb or, you know, had somewhere to stay for at least part of the trip. Um, so to be sleeping in a, in a tent for that long was a different, uh, it was a good experience. I mean, there's definitely things now that I'm looking at that, you know, it's, it's a cost effective way to do some hunting trips, but there's things that I would change, like going back, you know, I would have probably just bought a little electric heater. Like, I mean, I probably have one for my office that I could have brought and, been a lot better off because I mean we had power and water so there's just little things I would have tweaked to to probably enhance my experience a little bit yeah that's just learning too like 
<laughs> yeah, man, if I could tell you like the the <laughs> the mistakes that you make, like my first backcountry elk hunt, I literally froze. You know what I mean? Like didn't have the right gear, and that's just like living and learning. But yeah, dude, living like the heat is a big deal. <laughs> you got to sleep good, especially on those long hunts, to really maximize your efficiency when you're out there. But so tell me, like, how? Like, how did you look at this? Cause this was a place you had never been to. Okay. Like, did you, did you really dive deep on like, you know, the maps before you got there? Did you, you know, did you do a lot of on foot scouting the first couple of days? Like, what was your, like, like, Hey, we're going to show up here. Like what, what did that look like? Yeah, this was, this was a very unique experience for me. I'm, I'm generally, uh, uh, kind of a solo hunter. So everywhere I go is it's just me. I, I don't have any help or anyone else to, to depend on. Um, I had done a good amount of cyber scouting for this hunt, uh, but at the same time, the guys from Whitetail DNA were going to get up. They actually got out there, I believe, the week before season. They were out there scouting and glassing and running some trail cameras, um, doing a lot of the legwork. Um, so I, you know, it was it was definitely appreciated and kind of nice to have some some help going into a hunt. Um, so some of the prep work was done by other people. Um, or, or kind of like a team effort, I'd say. Um, and, but when I did arrive, you know, jumped right into, I mean, the first I got there, like literally just in time to pop up my tent and go out there and, and start glassing. So, I mean, we got right to work, um, but definitely did have some help. So I can't take all the credit for, for the results and the, the deer that I saw and whatnot. Yeah. And so you got there and you said it was hot, right? Like real hot? Real hot. Yep. Like full-blown summer. So were you guys like targeting water? Was that where like, were you seeing a lot of deer or movement or anything to do with water? Water was definitely a factor. Um, water, I mean, we were focusing on uh, where we were at. There was, was a pretty good mix of ag. It, where I guess I'll, I'll describe the area a little bit. I mean, it's big ag, um, smaller woodlots. Um, some just like windrows of cover. Um, there wasn't like huge blocks of timber in some areas, but then in other areas it was like straight up hill country and um, big timber and elk bugling and stuff. So it was a pretty diverse area. Uh, I specifically focused more on the areas that had less cover. Um, so I was actually focusing on areas that had like little bits of water, whether they were like a little pocket of marsh or uh, a creek bottom running through it and then big ag. But when we got there, the ag there is a lot different than where I'm at in Ohio or Michigan, where it's just beans and corn. They have a, a pretty hefty mix of, of different crops and some the deer like, and some the deer don't. Um, there's a bunch of canola and wheat out there, which I'd never really been around canola before. Hmm. Um, but it, it's just like a dry Brown. They were, they were cutting it when I got there. The beans were, I'd say, 75% yellow. Um, and if you had hunted soybeans, you know that when they turn yellow, that's kind of that in-between stage where deer don't really like them. Uh, they either like the, to eat the plants when they're green and full of moisture, or they wait until they're dried brown and they'll eat the actual bean pods then later in the year. Um, but they were, they were pretty yellow when I got there, so we were focusing on like wherever we could find areas that had a lot of green beans still. And that seemed to be a, a pretty good strategy early in the trip. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, yeah, like you were talking about like crop rotation and, and canola and it's like one of those things. It's like you, if you don't know, you don't know, you know what I mean? Like you go and 
you have these experiences. I remember the first time I saw like sorghum and there's definitely <laughs> sorghum like in, you know, Michigan, but it's like, you don't really pay attention to it until you're like trying to hunt around it. And then it's like, you have all these questions like, do the deer like it? How do they travel through it? Do they bed in it? Do they skirt the, you know, you have no idea. So like, that's, it's really interesting that you're, um, canola. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. Does that look like corn? Exactly. No, it looks like, I would say it's kind of like a, it kind of looks like wheat, but it's got, I don't know, like branch. I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe, like almost like branches, but it was all dried and brown and everything. And yeah, the first night that I hunted, I sat, basically I accessed alongside this standing canola field. And I was like concerned I was going to bump bedded deer out of there because I didn't know if they bedded that or not. And then actually while I was sitting there, the very first, the, you know, the opener, uh, farmer came out and was like i think i I don't know if the proper term would be combining the canola but they're harvesting the canola and you know like in michigan or ohio you know they when they cut the beans or cut the corn there's all that like waste grain and you know the deer just flock to it so i'm sitting there like is this a good thing are you know Mm -hmm. are deer going to be coming out to this field and just hammering this stuff or what and it didn't didn't seem to be the case but yeah all those same questions were going through my mind like literally what the hell is canola do, do deer like it you know do they bed in it all that good stuff yeah and like i mean not to get too far ahead but like that's honestly some of the coolest parts of like when you hunt out of state like you get to understand deer on a different level of of you know even though you might not hunt around canola in your home area but like it's just you're you're better you know you're better for it when you come back in, in that understanding of how you know maybe things work in different places but 100 percent um, so tell me more. So like you, you get there, you're doing all this. What, what are you finding bucks right away? Are you, are you seeing patterns? Like what, what is your approach? Yeah. So the night before the opener, I can't, I can't remember exactly what day I got there, but it was before the opener, but the night before the opener, you know, everybody, everybody's scouting during the day and, and then glassing in the evenings. Um, and everybody kind of split up. A lot of people were kind of paired up and, you know, there are a lot of people were filming and whatnot. Um, but a good amount of the guys got right on, you know, they're sitting on like the last bit of lush green bean fields and we're seeing like batcher groups of bucks still. And that, that's the power of hunting that time of the year is you can catch them while they're still on those summer patterns. Um, depending on like when your state opens, I, I've learned, or I've, I've figured out that like September 15th, like when Missouri opens, it's, that's kind of a tough time. Um, that's right when they really start shifting off the beans and hitting the acorns and it can be a really difficult time to hunt. But if you can slide up and start hunting a little bit earlier in the year, like that September 1st or September 5th, or, you know, depending on the state, um, they're typically still on the, the, that summer program of, you know, bed to feed and they get up even when it's hot out, it's not super weather dependent. They get out even when it's hot out, go out, hit the beans and they're all battered up for the most part. And, uh, if you can, last one up and you know you have the same conditions you know the next day or you know soon after like chances are you can probably catch him coming out a very similar area because he's betting in the same area going out to the same food source um they're just very predictable they've been unpressured all year um but me personally i i did not get right on deer um so i went into you know the opening hunt without a great idea the property i did hunt we had uh, we did have one camera up um, collectively, and it was cool. I've never been a part of a big deer camp like we were. Um, 
with as many good guys as, as we did. We were all sharing intel. We were all telling each other where we were sitting. We were all exchanging. You know, we were all basically sharing trail cam pictures and all the in, intel that we had. So it was super cool. It was a very collaborative experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it takes a special group of guys to have that. But uh, anyways, we had a we had one camera on this specific property and this buck had showed up a couple times in daylight and a couple times not in daylight. And um, he wasn't like a super, you know, he wasn't like a mega giant or anything, but he was a buck that I'd, I'd be stoked to hunt. Um, so the first night I went in there and just kind of did an observation hunt. I didn't expect to be super in the game. There was a chance that I'd have a, a shot at him, but um, I more or less just wanted to see where he was coming out and like what direction he was going and all that good stuff. And that was the night. I don't think I saw a single deer. That was the night that the they came and cut that canola. And uh, were you uh, so? Were you up in a tree or in the ground or what were you doing? I was I was basically in a little. I was in a tree, if you could call it that. Um, not a very tall tree, just kind of a scrubby little fence row. Um, you know, just I was literally standing in the crotch of a tree, super uncomfortable. It was like a huge pain in the butt to try to set up my camera arm. Yeah. and like film out of this tree and I was like falling out of it half the time because you know I was it's leaning and multi-trunk and I was probably I didn't even use any climbing sticks I think I was probably like three or four foot up um so yeah you could say I was in a tree <laughs> <laughs> making making do with what you had exactly early season's tough man because there's so much cover and it's not like you know you got private land farm back home where you can like hang your set and trim everything out and make shooting lanes and everything else. Like, it's like, you kind of have to work with what you got. So in the early season, I found myself hunting from the ground. I found myself hunting really, you know, one stick up, you know, I actually hunted zero sticks up in a couple different places where I was just like climbing into like, yeah, climbing into the crotch of a tree. Cause that's all I could work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a couple spots like that too, where it's like, like you, you got to get, super creative because the biggest tree is like as big as your leg and it's like it's it's going to do you more harm than good to try and you know i don't know it's it's interesting like to being able to blend in with your surroundings as best as possible in different seasons of the year is definitely a skill and that's it's a especially with like it sounds like you're you're working with these semi-open areas where you're you know still a lot of foliage out there's these drainages where you know, I've seen bucks in, in like Michigan, Southern Michigan, where that's like where they live all summer long until like September 10th or something like that, where they're just literally feet away from food, just hanging out in these little, like, you know, the terrain just for whatever reason dips in this area and they can just bed there. There's water close by, there's food really close and they can just do everything they need to do within like 30 to 40 to 50 yards, maybe even a little less, like it's all right there. Does that, yeah. does that paint the picture kind of? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty accurate. And you know, I, I had buddies that were hunting elsewhere across the country during the time I was out there and they were busting my balls because I, I wasn't really hunting mornings. I did, I did a couple morning hunts. And other than that, I was like kind of doing glassing missions or glassing from the car, trying to, you know, figure out new spots and whatnot. Um, but it made it super difficult because like you said, they were betting so close to the food and there's not a lot of cover as it is. And a lot of the places where I was hunting, you know, it's like I was, I was walking in down the edge of like a giant ag field and, you know, sometimes I was walking a half mile or whatever to get into some of these places, but 
to, I would have to access along a field edge to get into like any type of tree or something. And, you know, typically that's where the deer are feeding when you'd be heading in. So, and, and then they're bedding right there. So it was just like a, a high risk, low reward situation as far as the morning hunts. So I didn't, I didn't do a lot of uh, morning attacks for that specific reason right there. And when we were scouting midday, I jumped a couple, two or three, like, 130 140 inch bucks like right on the edge of a bean field or right on the edge of a field and you know it's, it's, it's there's not much you can do there i mean they're they're betting right next to their food that time of year a lot of times yeah yeah that's I've, I've like i said i've only done a couple of early season like kentucky hunts in september and like that was where i would see deer like you know the type of deer that we're trying to get after like mature deer like bedding within 20 to 50 yards of everything they need. And it's, it's just incredible trying to get in on that. And cause your windows are so tight, right? Like you're trying to find them. It sounds like early on, you're trying to identify, like get the pattern and move in. It's like, you're working with these very slim windows to be able to, to capitalize. So I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm there in the story right now. I'm pretty excited. So what, yeah, what side, happens hey, side, side, side note. So something like what you just said, like for that exact reason is why I'm not stressing right now back in Ohio, even though I have like zero shooter bucks on camera. Like I've had a couple that I literally have like one or two pictures of over the last few weeks, but like I do not have any consistent type of pattern and we're like two weeks out from season, but you know, there's still green beans in the area that I'm at and you know, they're still hitting that egg strong. So like, they're bedding so tight to the egg sources and all the places that I had to hunt are more of like the cover and some river bottoms and stuff like that. So I'm not stressing because I know those bucks are in the area. Mm-hmm. And as soon as those, whether they start getting harvested or a little bit of pressure happens or, you know, those beans turn yellow, like I'm going to have those deer again. So right. to, to the point you just made just a quick sidebar, like hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, I, <laughs> I want to agree with you. You know, like I have the same situation going on where there's like, I got no, not, not, I'm not being able to look forward to anything because I really haven't been able to get on those, those deer in terms of getting pictures of them and getting those Intel photos that you're looking for. But we're still, you know, <laughs> we're still not into the season yet, but I'm hoping to see some big deer on camera here soon. Yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Anyway, so back to your storyline, um, what, what happens next? Yeah. So the first night I sat and they, they cut that canola, um, I figured I'd give that, that same observation tree, uh, a second shot the next night after, you know, basically there's no, there's no more tractors and stuff driving around. There was a lot of farming activity that first night. Um, so the, the second night I went literally the same tree. I, uh, adjusted a little bit differently to make it a little more comfortable in the crotch of that tree. I like attached my saddle platform that was like halfway hanging off the tree, the way that the branches were and the, the trunk and everything. Um, but I saw, I had a young buck come out and the, where I was hunting, it was basically like a block of timber and then this now cut canola field. And then there was just a, a fence row of like brushy trees that I was perched up in. And then there was this like alfalfa field on the opposite side of that, mm. uh, that I, that I could not, I could not hunt the alfalfa, but the deer were traveling from this block of timber. They were kind of like skirting the edge of this canola field and then going out to the alfalfa. Um, so I sat 
there again, saw a year and a half old buck come out and he, uh, what I'm guessing happened, I, I don't know this for sure because I couldn't see everything. Uh, but he basically came out and went straight down into the dump down in this river bottom. And my guess is he went for water. It was like 90 something degrees, mm-hmm. uh, went for water. And then he came back out and he ended up, there was a giant oak tree, um, about 50 yards from me and he was like picking away at acorns and then went, went off into the alfalfa. Um, there's a doe out there as well doing kind of similar pattern. And then, um, the, the buck that we had the trail cam pictures of, you know, a few days ago, um, he came out, did the same thing that year and a half old buck did. He went straight to the river bottom and went for water. So I was hoping that he would come back out to like, you know, where I could shoot him like the year and a half old buck did, it would be a little bit longer shot and be like a 50 yard shot. Um, but he never showed back up. It ended up getting dark. And then as I was packing up, I noticed that that, uh, you know, I couldn't, I, I could see with binoculars, but I couldn't see very well my naked eye. Um, it was like well past shooting light as I'm packing up all my camera gear. I saw that buck out in that alfalfa field and he actually caught my wind and, and busted. So like right out of the gates, you know, that buck winded me and, and ran away. Mm. So, so second, the, the third night, again, I, I wasn't hunting mornings at this point. Um, actually I lied that that next day I did go do a blind hunt in the morning. It was just a absolute, uh, it, it was, we were what basically I went in there with, uh, the marketing director from Redline Boat Hunting Weston and, we had this goal of like walking down this Creek bottom and going up this Creek and coming in the backside of where all these deer were bedding. And the, the Creek ended up being a lot deeper than we expected. And the, you know, the woods were a lot thicker than we expected. So we got in like super late and neither of us saw any deer and we just got boots full of water. And it was, it was a, it was a good, we made memories. It was a good bonding experience, you know, just <laughs> being out there with somebody who was a complete stranger at the time. And, kind of just going through it. But, uh, the game plan for that evening was to go back again to that same spot. I was going to sit the same tree, but the difference was we were going to have a a straight East wind and it was a little bit risky for one, the buck bust me the night before. So I thought, you know, maybe I blew him out completely, but figured while I'm on a buck, I got to at least try, but it was going to be a complete different wind. It's going to be East wind. It was a, I think a South or a West wind the night before. And I basically bet on the fact that he was going to bed somewhere different, you know, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but, you know, deer bed in different locations based on the wind a lot of times to, to have a, you know, some type of advantage. I didn't know where that might be, but I took that bet because with the east wind where I was set up, my wind was going to be blowing straight into where I saw him come out of the night before. So I, I took that bet just to see if I, you know, see him again and, um, I can't remember exactly how the night played out, if there was other deer, Um, but towards the end of the night, a four-wheeler drove down like a side road, uh, like a gravel road, and they actually bust this buck out of this little marshy area that was the complete opposite way that I saw him the night before. So I was like, yes, like I, you know, basically like I took the bet that he was going to bed somewhere else. He did. And, and then like right then my, the wind shifted and he went at me again. <laughs> really? So here we are like two nights in a row and he was already like, I'm pretty sure he went at me again. 
he was already a little nervous because the four-wheeler driving by, like, it was enough to get him on his feet, and he ran out into the alfalfa field, and he was kind of, like, looking my direction, and then he, like, ran off into the river bottom. So this this is the, like, you saw the four-wheeler drive while you were hunting. Like, this happened while you were set up. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see him. I could hear him. I, I think there was, like, a rancher. Um, there was, like, cattle and stuff on some properties down the way. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how close they got, but I could hear the four-wheeler and they were driving up and down this road. And then all of a sudden I see this buck get up and jump out of his bed, which was cool to see like how they adjust for different winds and where he was and made perfect sense for an east wind. Mm -hmm. So after getting busted twice now by the same buck, I figured, uh, I'd try somewhere else. Um, we had a couple guys shoot bucks in camp that night. Um, so we, we kind of divided and conquered one group stayed at camp and like, but broke down the deer, uh, the one that they had recovered already. The other one, the shot was a little bit questionable. Um, so I was part of a group that went and tracked. Um, unfortunately we didn't end up recovering that deer. Um, is it was just a really tough track and i think that deer is probably fine after everything was all said and done but the guy that shot the the buck we did recover uh he volunteered to the film so i swooped in and i was one of the few guys that didn't have a cameraman up to that point so i i gladly uh accepted a cameraman for that so the following night we went to basically went and blind somewhere else super super lush green bean field ended up sitting on the ground and just saw does and fawns and you know basically laughed the entire time sitting on the ground talking to again somebody who was a you know it was, it was cool because a lot of the guys on this trip were friends i call them like instagram friends they're like those people that you, you like comment on each other's stuff online you dm each other occasionally but like you don't really know them yeah. Um, it was, it was a lot of guys like that. So I actually get a chance to meet people and put a face with a name and, um, see what these people are like in real life, um, was, was pretty, pretty cool. And, uh, Robert Kennedy, he works with, uh, red line. He works for, he works with trophy line too. He's like super talented with the camera. So I got a lot of awesome content from him and he's just a good dude. He's a Michigan guy too. He has his own YouTube channel, man over beast, um, that he puts out pretty regularly content on so that leads us to uh that's yeah so that concludes night four and a lot of the guys were leaving on the fifth so i don't know if you have any questions so far you want me to just keep rolling well yeah no i, I like where you're going but the uh i'm just imagining like i've never been a part of like a deer camp like that and like i got to imagine it was a lot more enjoyable like because there's there's definitely times where I'm kind of a loner too. Like I think you said that in the beginning, like you've always hunted alone. Like I like the solitude. I like, I like trying to, you know, challenge myself and like figure it out myself, but there's a whole, that's a whole different game. It sounds like it's a whole different thing. You're like, you're sharing, con you know, people are trying to share content. They're trying to share Intel. They're trying to share, you know, just camaraderie in general. So like, it kind of sounds awesome. Like it sounds like a good time. Yeah, man, it was, it was definitely like, it was definitely a good change of pace. I'm a, I'm a solo hunter for the most part, not by choice necessarily. Uh, it's, it, I think it's, it's very unique to find a group of guys that all have the same goals that are genuinely happy for each other. If somebody else is successful, I think there's so much jealousy and envy in the hunting world. And, 
you know, if you shoot a buck, the other guy feels like less of a man or something subconsciously. So they resent you secretly and they're never actually truly happy for you. And that's like, it's the most toxic thing about deer hunting in my opinion. Mm. Uh, but this group was, this group was awesome. I mean, I had, <laughs> I had asked Alex prior to going out there, like, you know, do I need to plan all my own food or are we going to have community meals? What's this going to look like? And he's like, ah, you know, I don't know. Just, just bring, bring your own food and you know, is what it is. So I had brought all this food just for myself to eat for, you know, two weeks basically is what I was like budgeting for. And, uh, needless to say, I, I hadn't eaten a hot dog in like 15 years probably. And I, I ate probably 20 different, 20 hot dogs on this trip. And just, you know, we were just, there's like hot dogs and bush light every night when we got back. So <laughs> it was just, you know, it's like, what, what you want me to go make a meal by myself or am I going to hang out with the guys as they're throwing dogs on the grill? You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, we had some, there was a couple nights, we had some, some crazy rainstorms and we all piled in the, the canopy off, uh, Sam's, uh, his bus and, you know, we were jamming to music and having a good time and, you know, chatting and joking around and stuff. So it was definitely, uh, a lot more, it was enjoyable in a, in a different way than a lot of my other trips, because a lot of the other trips are just like grind, grind, grind. And, you know, you, it's kind of like that type two fun where it's not really honestly that fun in the moment, but it's, it's fun when you look back on it. This was like actually fun. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same point, if I was by myself, I probably would have been scouting more in the day. I probably would have tried some more morning hunts. Um, but because I had some of the intel and some of the things to work off from, from some of the other guys experiences over the week, um, one, I didn't feel like I had to do that as much, but at the same time, when you're on an out-of-state trip and you have a limited amount of time, like you kind of pull out all the stops. Um, but since since all the guys were in camp, it's like, well, do I go scout midday or do I like hang out at camp with everybody and go down to the beach and go swimming? So it was it was it was different, but it was a lot of fun, and I hopefully will be doing it again next year. Yeah, no, it sounds awesome, dude. That sounds really fun. You want to keep going in the, the next night now? Yeah. I love how you remember all this. Like I, I can't remember things as well. Like usually I'll, uh, you know, like it's all a blur. Like you said, type two fun. Usually most of my hunts are type two fun. And it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you I think that's back, what a lot of hunting is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, 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 you look back, like you said, and you have this huge struggle and it like, that's, what's most memorable is like the, the, the pain you had this legitimate pain and it's like not yes. fun at all. And that's like, that's why it was fun because my God, I did that. Like that happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And the only reason I can recall this is because I spent about a half hour before you called me going through it. And it's, it's funny cause you know, every night on the way in, I'd be taking pictures or videos of, you know, my setup or whatever. So I actually went through my camera roll and I was like, all right, where was I at in the first, where was I at in the second? Um, the next night though. So just, I'll recap real quick. So first night I sat looking for this buck, they cut the canola. I didn't see any deer. Second night, I saw that buck. He winded me. The next night, wind switched. He bedded somewhere else. I saw him again. And then the next night was just like a shot in the dark with with uh, with the cameraman. We hunted from the ground. Didn't see anything. So now it's night five. Now this, this buck that's winded me twice now, I had a feeling was going to try to like circle downwind of my position and, and now we were back to south wind which was like the original wind that i'd seen him on so i 
you know, assuming I didn't blow him out of the area completely, I, I expected him to, you know, I, I kind of knew where he was going to be coming from and anticipated him to be trying to circle around my, my win or, you know, my, my position. So I actually came into this property the complete opposite way, which was a real pain because the way I was accessing from the opposite direction, it was like maybe a quarter mile walk, which isn't super far. I mean, it's not short, but it's not that long. Coming in from the opposite road, it was like closer to three quarters of a mile and you know, it, it's, a, it's a long walk, but I came in from the backside and my goal was to get up in a tree, but going back to what we were talking about earlier, just so much foliage, there was no place where I could get up in a tree. So I decided, okay, I'm going to sit on the ground and I, I had two choices. There was the choice to set up and be able to shoot to the trail that I had seen him take to go get water the first night or slide up a little bit to where it was like closer to the field edge where they were like cutting the corner of this canola field. And, and I, I could shoot quite a bit there. And it, this night was, if I remember correctly, it was like 20 degrees cooler. So I figured, okay, he's probably not as eager to get water as the day that it was like 90 degrees. So I, I basically elected to take the, the basically risk the him taking that trail where I saw him to go get water and basically I slid up and that was now downwind to me. I saw younger, I think one or two younger bucks and a couple of does, they basically came out and were within bow range. They were moving pretty quick. So I don't even know if I could have actually shot any of them if it was the right buck. So that, they were all, they were kind of back and forth throughout the night. And then as it got down to dusk, I'm sitting on the ground, I'm on my knees and uh, you know, it's not like I'm sitting there on my phone, like dicking around, like I'm alert. I am looking in all directions and I look over my left shoulder and my target buck is at 10 yards on the trail that I elected to not set up on. And it's my wind is like probably blowing right at him or almost right at him. So I basically cranked around, got my bow and he bolted, he, he took, he bounded off, took like two bounds and there was like some trees in between us, but now he's like, he's gotta be dead downwind to me. So I, I'm like, I don't think I drew back, but I was like, I had my bow up ready to draw like the second that he cleared the trees that he was standing behind. And then I was, you know, obviously going to shoot. Well, he just bolted like he just took off and never, never cleared those trees. So now I've had three encounters with the same buck and he's winded me. I'm pretty sure all three of those times. <laughs> so that, that was a real kick in the nuts because it was like, I, I, I kind of guessed that he might take that trail, but I risked, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sit, I couldn't shoot both. I took the aggressive, you know, I went in and I took where, what I thought would be the, the better odds. Because the, the opposite would have been, I sat back, I'd be able to shoot that trail, but I wouldn't be able to see a lot of the other stuff, and I wouldn't, I'd, I wouldn't be able to shoot nearly as much. Um, but here, and I mean, he looked, and he looked pretty good too, like being on the ground that close, and you know, he he took off like a bat out of hell, and so now I'm I'm over three, but this area, it's like it's the only green field in this whole area, like this whole this whole block of timber, I, the whole time too. 
I couldn't quite understand why he was betting where he was because where these deer were coming out, it wasn't just that buck. Like the younger buck was in there. I saw a does come out of there. They were just coming out of like the middle of this block of timber. It wasn't like a corner or an edge where I thought they might have a, a sight advantage or a wind advantage. Like I, it just didn't make sense to me, but mm-hmm. everything surrounding that block of timber was cut canola or cut wheat. Mm-hmm. So the, the green alfalfa field was like the only green food source. So I think that's why he just didn't completely like bail on this whole area altogether. Cause I think in any other, like if he was in Michigan or Ohio where there's food everywhere and, you know, adequate cover everywhere, I think he probably would have just bailed. Yeah. Like chose a completely different section to bed. Yeah. Or at least like bedded somewhere, you know, there just wasn't a lot of cover. So you kind of had limited options. I also think like the thing that was going well, you know, going for me is the fact that it was so early in the season. And and I've, I've had this experience in other places where like, I've never been busted that many times by the same deer, but two years ago on one of these trips, like I went in, scouted an area. So that was like one intrusion. I sat, you know, I walked in again, sat there that night and had encounters with bucks. I went in there the next night, uh, had encounter with a buck and got busted and then went in there like two days later and then like, you know, had encounters with the same buck. So it, it seems like that time of the year, they're pretty tolerant to pressure, even if they do right. catch your ground scent or, or wind you or something. It seems like it takes a lot to completely blow them off that summer program, you know? Yeah. Can I, can I take a stab and, and kind of guess where your mindset was after he took out of there when he winded? Sure. You? So if I'm just picturing me, like if you're hunting this deer for how, this is the fifth night. Yes. So you're the fifth night. He's winded you three times in a row. He was directly downwind from you. He got in pretty tight to you, 10 yards. He probably got a real good smell. I'm, I'm going to guess that you're thinking like, man, I'm never seeing that deer again. And I probably need to readjust in my entire plan. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty spot on. I mean, that was my, that was my, I'm going in to kill this buck and that way I can go home to my four week old baby and, and wife, you know, and like, I've, I never, you know, I miss my, my now wife when I'm on trips, but it's, it's usually, you know, I love her a lot, but it's pretty t- It's, it's tolerable, but having this new baby at home, it was like, man, I don't want to be out here longer than I have to. Like I'm out here and I love doing what I'm doing, but like I want to get back to my kid at the same point. I can't so, believe uh, that, uh, I can't believe she gave you the green light. I mean, like, <laughs> dude, trust me, I, you and me both, man. Yeah, I, 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 that, I can't believe it either. But she's Lindsay's a rock star and um, super supportive of what I do, and I don't know, must like some peace and quiet at home or something. But yeah, she's she's a saint for letting me leave. <laughs> I got, I'm going to try that. I think I'm going to see what happens and I'll let you know. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, okay. So I'm dying. So the next morning, did you go hunting or no? No, the next morning, if I remember correctly. So a bunch of the guys left the next morning. I think actually everybody was leaving that following morning. We had a crazy torrential downpour the night before, uh, the night that I got busted. Um, so in the morning guys were packing up. Um, there were still some cameras out in the field and I didn't put up any cameras, but I, I went with, uh, a couple guys to go pull them so I could check out some different areas that they were focusing on and, um, just get eyes on some stuff. I helped make some mock scrapes cause those guys are going to be coming back later in the year. So I did a little bit of scouting midday and you know, that way I could, so I could have a little more, uh, 
fellowship with my buddies and, and build that camaraderie. Um, and then the evening hunt, I was going to go into a place, uh, this place, the, the place I hunted this night. Um, I can't remember if anybody had hunted it previous. No, that, that's right. The, a couple guys hunted this place, uh, the evening before it was either the evening before or two evenings before and, and saw, um, two bucks that were pretty good and they were just like pretty far away. So they had buck encounters at this place, but everyone was leaving. So here I am kind of back at square one because the, the, the chess game that I'd been playing, you know, for the time being at least was done with because I'd been busted so many times by this deer. I just wanted to go somewhere different. Um, so I went in there, you know, they, they kind of told me where they were sitting, where they saw this buck. And, and I adjusted a little bit when I got in there. Um, I didn't hunt like the same tree or anything. Um, but I got set up and the, the setup was basically like I was sitting on the edge of a bean field. I accessed down this cut wheat field. Um, so I had pretty good access. It was just like walking. It was a really, really long field, a really far walk down this huge field. And I set up in a tree on this like windrow between a wheat field and a bean field. And then there's also a standing corn field kind of right there in this like, uh, you know, they all kind of come together right there. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, what we're um, expecting these deer to be coming out of is this like marshy. It's, it's just, it's honestly like, I'm trying to think of how big I'm trying to like quantify it, but maybe like a one acre marsh in the middle of a standing, you know, in, in the middle of a bean field, but it's like got some big timber, some giant cottonwoods and then like some like, you know, cattails and stuff like that. Probably like an acre or two acres, like right in the middle of this bean field. So I'm expecting these deer just to be like bedding right out in the middle of this thing. And then just like coming out to the beans to eat. Mm-hmm. Or I thought they might be bedding in the standing corn. There's standing corn in some, you know, in a couple different locations. Um, so I thought maybe they'd be bedding in the corn. But as I'm sitting there and where I was at uh, in the country, it was getting dark at like 830-ish, I believe. 830 was was like the end of shooting light about. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and it pretty early on as I'm getting set up on the point of this marsh, I hear something and I'm like, that sounds like a deer. And with the wind with what it was, I'm expecting like that would make perfect sense for a buck to be betting right on that point, which is pretty cool. So I'm like, all right, well, that's good. I think there's a deer in here somewhere at least. And I don't know what, what they're doing. I couldn't hear him after a little bit, but as I'm sitting there, you know, I get all set up and, um, this was the first night that I actually got up in like a real tree. I was in a big cottonwood tree and, you know, could actually use my climbing sticks and stand on a platform and, you know, saddle hunt and get my camera set up to how, you know, how they're, you know, my, my regular routine. So it was nice to be a little more comfortable, but as I'm sitting there, it was about six thirty, So like two full hours before dark, all of a sudden I see antlers coming through the, the cover here. And I saw this really nice buck and he's at when I like from the time I first saw him, he's probably at 50 yards and he was just browsing on stuff on the edge of this marsh. And to, to go back to like the setup, I'm on this row of trees and then it's beans and then it's the little marshy pocket and where I'm at, it's like a 50 yard strip of beans. So it's not very wide, but then on both ends, it kind of opens up and there's like a lot more, um, 
so I just, it was kind of like a funnel in the field, I guess is a, a way to put it. So he was like directly opposite of me across the beans on the edge of the, the cover in the marsh. And he was just browsing on stuff. I couldn't quite tell what he was eating on and full velvet, like beautiful eight point, like immediately was like, yep, he's, he's a shooter. Um, it was kind of cool though. I got footage of, uh, him eating and whatnot. And, but there's a tree on the edge of the field. I, I later found out there was an apple tree, but there was like vines coming off of this and he got his like antlers stuck in the vine. So for a second he was like trying to get his antlers like pulled out of these vines and his head was stuck. I probably should have just tried to shoot him right then and there. But, um, no, so he ended up coming out into the field and I didn't know what direction he was going to come. Like I said, those guys had hunted in that area a couple nights before and I think he was a little nervous, like maybe he'd hit their ground scent, you know, the previous night or whatever. And, and he was just a little unsure. So he walked out in the field, kind of looked around, was like smelling, look, licking his lips. And my wind was safe. Like, I don't think there's any way that my wind would have swirled or, or spooked him or anything. But you could tell he was nervous. And then he started to like walk the opposite direction. So I'm thinking like, all right, he's probably going to like go out into this big, you know, the rest of the big bean field. And, you know, this is kind of my chance. So, um, he was at 47 yards and I mean, I think I had like seven or eight minutes of like holding my bow, watching, not, not drawn back, just holding my bow, watching this buck, you know, my heart was just racing. And, uh, finally he kind of like lets his guard down and, um, he's again he's kind of pointing the direction that he's going to leave and just his body language was a little nervous so eventually able to get drawn back 47 yards you know settle my pin shoot and like not a great hit like i and initially like right away it looked like a shoulder hit um it was far forward a little bit high not great penetration and i haven't shoulder hit a deer in a long time and it and it absolutely sucks so right out of the gates i'm like not good but he basically bounded out he, he like took off ran 60 or 70 yards and then stopped where i was at i could glass quite a bit and he was in this kind of like tall brushy area so i'm glassing him and at this point he just stops and he's kind of you know I, I can't tell what kind of condition he is then or, or i can't see my arrow so i'm like all right go down go down you know go down I'm like what are you doing I'm like go down and so for 10 minutes, he stands in one place and then takes like one or two steps and stands again for like two or three minutes. And I'm glassing him this entire time. And I, I was able to video all of this. And then, you know, he'd take a couple steps and then stop for a few more minutes. So I, I was able to glass him for like 15 or 16 minutes before he eventually like walked out of view. And so I'm like, okay, that's not good. Like, I, I can't believe I hit him bad. Um, I can't believe I just sat there and watched him and was able to watch him for so long. But at the end, he was like, most of the time he was facing directly away from me and I couldn't really tell. I couldn't see like an entrance or an exit or anything. But at the, at the last little bit, he turned and I could see his offside and there was blood coming out of him. And I, I was shooting rage extremes. with like a two and a third inch cutting diameter, pretty big cut. And I'm like, okay, so I got an exit hole. And that was the only thing that was giving me any bit of hope because you know, shoulder hits generally are not, you know, they're not lethal. Um, I already knew that I didn't have great penetration, but the fact that my broadhead got all the way through the deer, like gave me a, a glimmer of hope that I was going to recover this buck if I played it right. So did, did you say, and I just missed it. How far was the shot? 47 yards. 
47 and you said you're using a rage extreme and was it right. like there was it was like an open shot like there was no like it didn't deflect or anything like that not that i could tell i mean there was one tall beanstalk that was like right before him but i mean i've I played back the footage and i think it just i mean to be completely frank i i feel like the last bunch of bucks i've shot like i haven't had time to get nervous because it's like such a bang 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 thing i mean i was literally holding my bow for like seven minutes and i was i mean i was probably shaking i was pretty freaking fired up i mean it was a sweet buck and just a cool hunt and a little bit of buck fever so i mean i'm sure it was just human error um but it was a clear shot i mean he was just standing there he was you know just perfectly still um just just poor execution um was, and then was he was down feeding like was his head down feeding or at all or what no he was actually i'm trying to remember exactly how it played up he was actually he had his you know how like a dog will scratch his ear with his back paw yeah so he was actually scratching his head with his back leg and basically as soon and I had, you know, I was like had drawn back settled on him. And like this, as soon as he pulled his back leg off and put it on the ground, I shot. So, um, he, he wasn't feeding. He was, I mean, it's probably, I don't know if I'll ever shoot a deer again that was scratching his head a minute ago, but yeah, he was definitely unalert and, um, yeah, I mean, just poor execution is the only real explanation. But, so he's out in the field, though, and you could see his opposite side, and you saw blood on the opposite side, the exit portion. Yeah, I couldn't tell how much, but I, after all this happened, I the, the perk of videoing is you can play back and see exactly, you know, as well as you can. I mean, I was like, he's pretty far away, and I was zoomed in and everything mm -hmm. else. Um, but yeah, I could see blood on his offside. Um, and I couldn't tell how much or if it was like pouring on the ground or anything else, but I figured if I, if I could get up to where the deer was standing for like the better part of 15 minutes, like whatever blood is on the ground right there is going to be pretty telling of yeah. what happened. You know, yeah. I also, I also didn't know if the arrow was still in him. Um, I, I sat way, way dark because I was hoping to see my, my lighted knock somewhere lit up so mm -hmm. I could like find my arrow pretty easy. But this whole time, like I said, there's this marshy area in the middle and he kind of like half mooned around it just out of sight. So like for all I knew, I figured he walked right back into that marshy area and like, I don't know if he went back to his bed or you know what happened. He just dis disappeared out of view. Mm -hmm. So it was going to be like 30 degrees in the thirties that night. So I, basically decided knowing already that it was a subpar hit that if I was to go up to where impact was like, he, he very well could have went right back. It was so close to where he, I lost view of him that I thought I might bump him. And same thing. If I was to go up to where he was standing for that period of time, like for all I knew he could be bedded 20 yards from there and I would have bumped him. And you know, if you've ever, whether it was you or somebody you were helping track, like if you've ever bumped a bedded buck that's wounded, like they just get a shot of adrenaline. A lot of times their, their wounds kind of coagulated and like they don't bleed much after that and they run forever. And like you very, very rarely find those deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like for them, that's, that's their last push of fight or flight. And that, yeah. Yep. 
hundred percent. That's a tough position to be in because it, 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 it's different too, when you're on the road, like in an unfamiliar area, you know, even though you'd been there for a handful of days and all that, but it's, it's different when you can't just like go back up to the, you know, the house and like, it's a totally different thing, especially when you're on your own and it's, I completely understand. So you, you decided, I'm guessing you said to, to pull out and come back the next morning. Yeah. So like, I, I didn't even, again, I didn't even go look at impact. I didn't go look for my arrow. I couldn't see my lighted knock. Um, I just, I snuck out of there as quiet as possible and went back to camp. And of course this was my very first night having camp all alone, which is pretty somber. You know, it's not like I had all the buddies in camp to like review the footage with and, yeah. um, you know, hang out with and talk through things and, you know, go in with some help the next morning. But, uh, nevertheless in the morning I went in, and, uh, I think I had a good wind. I basically walked in the same way that I had when I was hunting there and went straight to impact. I, I could see tracks and whatnot. I don't know. I don't know that I saw blood right away or not. Um, but I kind of, my main goal is to get up to where he was standing for so long. Cause again, like he, if he was standing there for 15 minutes, like after being shot, if, whatever blood's there is gonna, I'm going to be able to tell what kind of blood it is. Mm-hmm. So I go to impact and just start kind of walking. I could see the tracks that he kicked up when he ran and I, I didn't get very far. And all of a sudden I see a coyote coming through the, like this, like kind of grassy pocket of cover. And I'm like, okay, in my head, I mean, I was just like watching him, but in my head I'm thinking, all right, that's potentially a good sign. Like maybe this buck is dead in here and like the coyote found him or, you know, was, was smelling him or, you know, I, I didn't really know. Right. Um, and while I'm glassing that coyote, I look up in the bean field and there's a velvet buck with a very similar profile as the one that I shot. And I'm like, Oh crap. So I'm glassing this buck now and ended up being a different buck. I, I kind of reviewed the footage of the buck that I shot was a clean eight. This one was like this the identical buck with a little kicker. So there, he was a nine point. And then he also had an, uh, really nice like probably mid 140s buck with him um and i was able to like sit there and glass them and watch them mm. but i couldn't see the whole field that they were in i could just see like one little window across this opening so i sat there for a while watching these bucks to see if the buck that i shot was with them you know what i mean like batchered out in the field and mm-hmm. you know he's fine and just out there again eating um i didn't end up seeing the buck that i shot those bucks kind of worked off and at that point I was like, all right, I'm not going to just sit there and watch these bucks forever. Like I'm, I'm going in and I went in like stalking, like ready to put a second shot in this deer. So like arrow knocked, ready to go, like as quiet as I could be, I'm, I'm following this blood trail and to not, not to prolong the, the story, but basically blood indicated a muscle hit, like, you know, kind of like a basically no man's land. Um, high shoulder, bright red, no bubbles or anything. There was, I'd call it decent amount of blood. Um, I, I followed it. I didn't really struggle to stay on blood for a couple hundred yards. And eventually it petered out into nothing. And the area I was in didn't have a ton of cover. So from there I said, okay, well, I'm, I lost blood. I'm going to just stalk every one of these little pockets of cover until I either bump him or find a dead buck. So that's what I did. 
stalked every single little piece of cover with the wind in my favor. Never, never kicked him up, never found him. Um, and after like four or five hours of looking for him, then I just started gritting at that point. And I went back to like, I, I checked all the cover that was like the opposite direction of where he ran and never found him. So basically chalked it up as this buck is probably fine. And I actually went back and looked more. Um, and then my goal was for the, you know, the foreseeable future was to like try to glass him up again or go in there and see if there's like, you know, that, that open a country, like dead animals, like buzzards around him, like ASAP, like it doesn't take the buzzards and the crows and stuff long to, mm-hmm. to find animals like that. That's pretty, so, uh, that's pretty, that's tough. Like that's a mentally that's tough on a, you know, you're, I'm sure you were like pretty bummed super bummed again like not to not to rush my trip but it's like perfect like i had a successful trip i accomplished my goal i can go home to my my wife and my kids and their kid not kids uh my wife and kid and you know i don't have to be out here that long all by myself you know everyone just left the night before but i only had to stay one night alone so i was already like kind of like you know thinking through all that stuff and now i'm sitting here like all right well now i'm back to square one yet again and on top of that like you feel you feel awful i mean as as a bow hunter like you respect these animals so much and you know you, you practice and you spend all the time in the off season working on your gear and shooting and you know things don't always go your way and it's it's a big bummer so that was the morning of the seventh day so that was so the morning of the seventh is when I went in there and tracked. I shot him on the sixth. Yep. In the in the seventh, yeah. So now we're at the morning, like midday on the seventh. No. Okay. So we're so again. I'm I'm if I'm I'm there mentally. I'm right where you are, and I'm like really, really low. But at the same time, you saw a couple of nice bucks. That nine pointer and maybe 140 inch. Did you like kind of try and get on them? Is that what your next plan was? So, so you know, at that point. I had blown out every ounce of cover and grid search and stalked in that area. So like, I didn't think for a second that those deer would, you know, be back. Um, yeah. at least any, at least anytime soon. So like the, the next few mornings I actually went in there and you could glass it from the road a decent amount. So like basically every day for the rest of the trip, I went in the morning to that spot glassing from the road to see if I could catch them out in the bean field still. Cause we were getting some pretty cold temps in the, at night. So like those, you know, in the morning it was still like low thirties or mid thirties, low forties. So like they'd be out in those fields pretty late. Right. So now here I am, it's like, you know, the dilemma, it's like, do I just keep trying to hunt this one buck and finish him off? But I actually, I'd even reached out to some dog trackers and just as like, cover all my bases, you know, to say I exhausted every, every possibility I could, uh, try to locate this deer. And, uh, they basically, I sent them the footage or some pictures of blood and the arrow and whatnot. I did, I did find part of my arrow, but it's kind of irrelevant. It didn't change the, the, uh, the outcome, but the dog trackers all basically agreed that muscle hit non-lethal, and that deer is probably going to be fine. So that was, it was at least encouraging to hear other people, but like, it's interesting. I've never had a dog tracker before. I've never used one. 
Um, but those guys track deer all season long and lots of them. So they, they see the good, the bad, the ugly. And generally like they're pretty spot on with like, if they see blood or, you know, if they, if you send them video and they know exactly where you hit the deer, they, you know, there's obviously things that can happen, but they're, they're pretty accurate in their estimation of what happened a lot of times. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like definitely that's, that's one thing that it's a huge pro too. like, um, not the sidebar, but it's it's a huge pro to have footage and be able to send it to those guys. Do you have a, do you have a way to film hunts pretty easily without having like an expensive camera and a bunch of equipment? <laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. That, that, like, I feel like you would recover more gain if you did. <laughs> no, for real though. Like, if my my experience uh-huh. when you send footage to these dog tracker guys, they're like more app to come to your call versus another call because like you you got you got more intel you know they they're they want to recover deer just like you do like that's they get paid you know potentially more that way but like they they want to see the deer too that's why they like doing it but yeah that that was my experience too is like when you have video to show them the the feedback and just talking to a couple of these guys that do the dog tracking stuff like very fascinating like guys that are not necessarily you know big game hunters like sometimes women have these little beagles and they're like really good at finding these deer like i've seen it and it's like they they know because that's what they do so very interesting side side conversation there yes um i'll kind of fast forward through some of the other stuff because i mean i can walk through every detail of every hunt but the next that so that night i just took a shot in the dark you know I'm, I'm i'm asking the guys like where they think i should sit based off of you know i think we had i think we had eight or nine guys in camp with tags and you know some of them had cameramen and whatnot so there's there's quite a bit of area covered and you know we're hunting like an area an hour radius of where we were at so like all over the place so i'm asking people you know with this wind where do you think i should hunt i still don't want to go try to hunt the buck that i got busted by three times and you know, as much as I would love to go back after the buck I shot or the other ones that I saw and they're tracking, like I, I blew that area up so bad, like not a chance would a deer be in there. Um, so I took a shot at another spot, saw a couple does, uh, no bucks. Uh, next morning went back glass where I shot those, that buck, no deer. Um, that night took another shot at a new place. And that, that area was pretty cool. It was kind of like edge of a standing cornfield a standing cornfield meets like a dry cattail marsh big grassy area um could have could have shot a coyote and you know it, it was getting pretty cool in the evenings like it, you could definitely feel the temp drop so i'm sitting there and i'm like all right it's pretty early in the evening still i'm gonna put on my hoodie and of course i, I look around take off my binocular harness and my range finder look around again you know i'm good get one arm through the sleeve of my hoodie, look around again. And there's a shooter buck at 60 yards staring at me. That was like coming out of the marsh towards the standing corn, like standing on this little farm road. Mm. So I freeze I'm like, of course this happens, you know, like whatever, just terrible luck. Um, I don't, you know, couldn't have waited another minute for me to get all set up again. But anyway, so he's staring at me, I freeze and, uh, he walks in the first, first or second row of corn and just starts eating on the standing corn. And, um, you know, I took off the hoodie after all that, put on my range finder binoculars again and 
you know, he just kind of disappeared in the corn eventually. And then I got uh, winded by a bunch of does. So that was kind of a crapshoot. And I never went back to that spot because I just felt like it didn't matter what way the wind direction was. Like I was going to get busted wherever, like there was no, there was no good setup. And right. I think that's, that's one thing that I like is setups that you kind of have a dead zone to blow your wind to. So that way, like the deer can't really get around you. Like they'd have to go into like a cut wheat field or something like kind of out of the ordinary to, to get you. Um, so that brings us to the ninth. Um, this time I went back in to the spot where I had the three encounters with that one buck and this, this time I'm like, all right, he's probably still on the same program, but he's like probably like circling further and further downwind of where he busted me just to like, make sure I'm not in here. And at this point I've been out of there for one, two, three, I've been out of there for like three, three days. So I come in from the backside, super long walk. And this time I'm like, all right, I got to get set up in a tree that I can shoot that trail. Cause I've seen him take this trail twice now, once to go get water. And the second time when he busted me, so I got to be able to shoot to that trail. And it was pretty, it was a pretty bulletproof setup. Like I'd come in from the backside of this field and then there was this huge like drainage dish. There was a little bit of water in there and I'm sure that's what he was drinking at some point. But, and then I was like, I jump right up in the, like from, I climb out of that ditch right up, right up the backside of a tree. So like, unless he was like in the ditch, which I would have shot him before he got there. Like there's no way he was going to get downwind of me. So I'm, I'm expecting him to basically circle downwind to where I was at when he busted me, you know, I'd get a chip shot at him and all would be good. Uh, didn't see any deer until I'm packing up. It's dark. I can see with my, you know, I can, even when it's like past shooting, like you can still see out in the fields and stuff, you kind of like silhouettes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I see him walk straight across from the bedding area to the alfalfa field. Like he just walked across the wide open field, but it was after dark. And so I'm like, okay, he was in there. That's good. Um, but at the same time this night, if I remember correctly, there was like a ton of farming stuff going on neighboring areas. It was pretty hot, but there's lots of noise, like tractors driving around. Um, the rancher was like moving cattle, uh, in a nearby property. Like, I don't know what the rancher was doing if they were target shooting or kicking up coyotes or what, but like they're shooting guns all night, like all over the place. Like I was a little concerned for my safety, to be honest. Um, so I was like, okay, it makes, it makes a little bit of sense that he waited until dark to get up out of his bed. He probably was just like a little nervous with so much commotion going on. Like he was, he's going to adjust his, his plans and just stay hunkered down for a little longer. Um, the wind was going to be completely different the night before, like blowing back into where he was. So I, I kind of played it safe and stayed out of there and just threw a sit at the area where I shot that buck again, thinking just maybe I'd get lucky. Maybe I'd see him again. Um, didn't end up seeing any deer there. So now we're at, we're, we're going into the 11th. So 11 days, uh, you know, being out there by myself for half the time now, and, you know, been away from home for going on two weeks at this point. And I was, I, I was never more confident that I, I was going to kill that buck again. Cause I, I figured Again, all the commotion that night, he waited until dark to get out of his bed, but with the same conditions the next time, he was going to he was gonna do what I'd seen him do multiple other times at this point. 
So I basically went in there. It was perfect. It was like 20 degrees colder than it was the, the two days before when I saw him. There was no farming activity going on, no ranchers shooting guns. It rained a little bit in the morning, so the ground was just a little bit quieter. I'd already had a tree picked out and like knew exactly where I was going. So like everything was just a lot easier and the conditions were lining up. And like I was I've never been so nervous for a hunt my entire life. I was like, I'm either gonna kill this buck on this this hunt or like it's never gonna happen. Um so I go in there, sit all night. I had a doe come out like on the trail that I'm expecting him to come out, could have shot her at like 20 yards and, and then nothing. I think I had a couple other does like way off in the distance. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I see this, like just mega giant, not mega giant, a mega giant for me being from Michigan. He's probably like a one forties inch buck, which is like a freaking stud pretty much anywhere you go in the country. But I see a, I see a super nice buck and he came straight out of his bed. The same, same, he came out of the same area that the other bucket came from, like same general bedding area. And he walked straight across the wide open field in daylight to the alfalfa. And I, I only have a short window cause there's like branches and stuff coming in, uh, like obstructing my view. So I, I, it's not like I can see the alfalfa field and I can't see a lot of the other field, but he walked wide, straight across this cut canola field to get to the alfalfa. And I'm like, dang, that's awesome. But you know, that that's, it's a bigger buck than I was after, but um, you know, there is another buck in here. So like not all's not lost. Like there's still a chance that the buck that I've been hunting is on the same program and I can get a crack at him tonight. So how far was that buck away? He's probably at a, he's probably at a hundred. And you didn't like, yeah, you can't really grunt at him, can you? That's I mean, you probably could, but I, I didn't. Um, I mean, I got a little bit of footage of them and was happy with that. Yeah. Um, but, but still, I'm, I'm still in the game in my head. Like, I didn't think there was any chance that that buck would come anywhere within bow range of me that night. But that other buck is still out there. So probably 10 minutes after that, I see the buck that I've been seeing at 60 63 yards mm. but instead of taking the trail that he had been and like he basically was walked straight across upwind of where he where he bust me so like i expected him to circle downwind of where i was at he basically walked right like i could have shot him if i would have set up in the same place on the ground as i did when he bust me last so and he, he was you could tell he was a little nervous like he hustled across the opening but I was like, dang, dude, so close, like two nice bucks and, you know, got dark and like that was that. So I was pretty bummed because like, I, again, I, I literally, I get made fun of by my buddy sometimes because I'm that guy that's like, oh, I'm going to kill one tonight. Like I, I got him, like it's going down. And then like, you know, only one out of 200 times that you say that it actually happens. Yeah. Uh, but that this was like the best feeling I'd ever had. And, um, it didn't work out. So I was a little bummed out, but it's not like I boogered him up and I was like, okay, like we'll, we'll try again on these bucks another night. Um, I think we we're going to have some weird win the next night. So I just took a shot at a, a different property and it didn't turn out. I just I actually went in one property was getting snorted by a deer getting snorted at by deer the entire time I was accessing. So I, 
bailed at the last minutes, ran into another property blind and stood in the crotch of a tree and ended up seeing a bunch of does and fawns, but that was it. And then the following wind, so going into the 13th now, and again, I've been there since like before season opened. Um, going into the 13th, the wind was going to be completely opposite of when I saw those two bucks the last time. So I figured I'll go back into the same property coming from the opposite direction now and basically went to the same tree, the little scrubby fence row tree that I saw these or that I hunted from the very opener, the very first night of the season. And, uh, you know, I was nervous. I was anxious, but I felt pretty good about my odds of at least having an encounter with one of these bucks. But here I'm, I, I feel like I've seen him do like, uh, I've seen him adjust to my pressure over and over. And like, I'm still just somehow like one step behind and just a little bit off. And, like I was kind of getting beat down. Like, I don't know that I'm ever actually going to pull this thing off and figure it out. Um, so I sat there and where it sets up to kind of be a little bit longer shot, probably like pushing 50 yards. And, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there, there's no, there's no farming going on around. Everything's quiet. Everything's good. And probably 45 minutes before dark, the big one, I, they, they basically bet on in the middle of this block of timber and walk straight out to the edge of this canola field. And what, when I could observe, when I could actually see the whole thing, the other times that I'd seen these deer come out of this bedding area, they, they walk out from the edge of the field and just like hug the edge and basically go walk all the way around the edge of this field, like halfway across, halfway around. Well, this big buck walks straight out. He hits the edge of the field. And he's just like, I mean, he does what mature bucks do. He just like, he just looks, he just observes. He's looking in all directions. He's looking like basically facing me straight on at 120 yards, 100 yards, maybe. He's smelling, he's, you know, all this stuff. And then he starts feeding across. He just starts coming my way. But he didn't come the direction I expected him to come. He start. he's kind of aiming for like coming behind me which would be downwind to me. And I'm in this super, super shrubby tree that like, I, I couldn't even film at this point because like, it's so bushy. Um, I'm, I'm standing in the crotch of a tree. I couldn't really just like turn around and shoot this deer. Like there, there'd be no way to get a tree stand in this tree. I was like, just hanging in there in my saddle. Like j- j- it was, it was a pretty wild tree, pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> So I'm like, if this deer comes from like the trajectory he's on, I mean, he was basically aiming straight for my tree. And I'm like, I'm going to have an epic encounter with this buck. I'm not even going to be able to have a chance to shoot him. And he's going to get to like point blank. He's probably going to come smell the sticks that I left at the bottom of the tree and then run away. So he gets to the edge of this field at probably like 15 yards. And I'm in this just like little grassy fence row in the middle of between this alfalfa field and then this cut canola field. And, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm probably 10 or 15 yards off the opposite property, which is private that I don't have access to hunt. And then, um, you know, and then I have the property that I, that, that it was public access and he stands there and 
he's looking like he's going to walk behind me and go downwind to me. And the wind was teetering just towards him a little bit. And I'm like, he's going to catch my wind and just go. Like he was definitely like alert. He was nervous. And right at the last minute, like he, he turns and he's going to come like right where I need him, but too close. Like this deer came straight towards my tree, like right towards the bottom. And basically there's me, there's this giant trunk that I'm tethered to straight in front of me. And he walked probably five steps in front of me, like as close as could be, like he's the biggest buck I've ever had this close to me. And I draw back as he clear, you know, as he gets behind this, uh, the trunk of this tree and it's like dead still. And he, he kind of stopped and I'm at full draw. I can't, it happened so fast. I can't remember if he was already cleared and like I had the pins on him or if I just needed him to go a little bit more, but like, I don't think, I don't know if he heard me or smelled me or whatever, but like, it, it's, it's like he had a sixth sense. Like I drew back, I'm trying to settle my pins and he just bolts. Like he just, he sent something and just boogied dude. Hmm. And like nice buck, like really nice buck. Like one of the biggest eight pointers I've ever seen. Was your heart racing pretty good? Oh yeah. So he, he ran back, you know, across the field from where he came from and he stood and looked around. Like, I don't think he smelled me. So I think he just, he probably saw me or heard me, just sensed me. And so he stood there kind of on the edge of the field and I got some footage of him there. I haven't even looked at it, but, uh, you know, he walked back into the woods and I'm like, well, that sucks. Like, so just to be clear, that was not the buck that you originally saw the tractor or I'm sorry, the, the farmer bumped him on the four wheeler. That's a different deer that you had seen. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So this, this, so now, but so now this is the second time I've seen this buck. I saw him two nights before. Correct. And I, and I was trying to think of where he came from and I'm pretty sure when, if I had to guess, there was a bunch of like, you know, fallow fields and there was acorns everywhere, but my guess he was bedded in one of these properties that had a bunch of overgrown fields. And then when the, the neighbor moved cows into that area, probably displaced him from wherever he was bedding and he moved into this spot. That's my guess. So when you drew back and you said that this deer had a sixth sense, like, like five, 10 yards, like, like probably five tops, like could not have been closer to me. That's so cool. And, was he full? And I, no, they were, you know, he was hard horned and, uh, yeah, I don't, I think the last velvet buck I saw was like probably the ninth or the eighth maybe. Um, so like by the 13th, I don't think I saw any that had velvet, but like, I didn't even get footage of him up close because he was so alert and so on edge that like, there was no way I was like going to be able to swing my camera arm on him while he was like, you know, and, and again, I'm only four foot up in this tree. It's not like I'm 20 foot up. Like I'm, I'm right there next to him, you know, I could spit on him. Yeah. You, that's awesome. So he, he runs off and I'm, I'm bummed out, but again, like even two nights prior to that, him and that other buck both came out at different times and took different routes. And so I'm thinking like, I'm still potentially in the game. So I'm sitting there, it's getting, it's getting close to closing time. And I can hear deer across this field at like a hundred yards coming out of the woods. And it's this year and a half old buck. And it's the, the one that I'd seen five times before 
And then the big one comes back out after he probably was like, well, you guys are going out there. Like, I guess I'll go out there too, but I'm just going to hang back a little. So they all came out into the field and they did the same thing that that big one did. Like they all took the route where they were going to like basically walk straight at my tree and probably go behind me and go down into me. And these deer were going to be super close to me and I wasn't going to have a shot because there's no, just no option for me to shoot. Mm-hmm. And they all came out, they stood right up. I mean, they, they all stood like the big ones stayed back away. So like, I didn't even have a chance at him, but the year and a half old buck comes and stands like on the opposite side of all the shrubby stuff in my tree. Like he's probably 20 yards away from me. And they were like, definitely alert. They're definitely a little nervous. And then the one that I'd seen a bunch of times, he was probably 25 yards right on the edge of the field, but I couldn't shoot just based off how much cover was in this tree and the way I was set up. And then these other two does come from like a complete opposite side of this field and they end up in the same place. And then all the deer kind of like convened. And I think they just like, I think the bucks were nervous and then the does came out and it made the bucks a little less nervous. Cause it's like, okay, like there's other deer out here, like it must be safe. And like the does kind of did felt the same. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they all stood there for like five minutes and the big one that I had been busted by like half hour before or whatever, he's probably, He's probably like 65 yards back, like no chance I could have even got a shot at him. So it was like a switch, but they all stood there for a while. And then they're like, all right, everything's all clear. And they all started to go and they all just like wrapped around my tree. Year and a half old buck goes. And then the one that I was, I've been trying to kill wraps around my tree at like eight or 10 yards. And same thing, like I'm basically in the same position that I was with that big one. Like there's that big chunk of the tree that's in front of me. I wait for the buck to get behind that trunk, draw back. And the good thing is this buck just kept walking though. So he takes a couple of steps, clears that chunk and I shoot. Um, I mean, it happened so quick cause he was at like probably 10 yards and it was like getting down to the last few minutes of shooting light. So like lower light. And I couldn't quite tell where I hit him. Like I knew it was behind the shoulder. Uh, just again, couldn't, couldn't quite tell. So he books it back across the field towards he came, stops at the edge of the field for a second and then like runs back into the woods or he walked into the woods. So again, I glassed him for a minute and I'm like, okay, like I'm about to watch him go down in this field. Heck yeah. And then he, he walks into the woods and I'm like, Oh no, like here we are again. Mm. So I didn't know again where I hit him. Um, but it was a pass through. So I climbed down, got my arrow. The arrow had some, I've tracked a lot of deer, been a part of a lot of tracks and it had some like, some like watery looking blood. I couldn't quite like put my finger on what it was like arrow smelled a little bit, but it wasn't like I've, I've helped track like straight up gut shot deer. It didn't quite smell like that. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I, uh, I didn't look too hard for blood right then. It, again, it was getting cold in the evenings and like I, I, over the last few years after losing bucks, after bumping them going in too early, I was like, I'm just going to wait until the morning. I'm going to come in here and track in the daylight. I'm all by myself. I don't have any help. So I'm just going to do, you know, I'll wait until morning and mm-hmm. do it. Give me some time regardless. Cause I, and I also didn't get the shot on camera just because like with so many high alert deer so close to me, like I just couldn't get the camera over to him. So another sleepless night I go out there in the morning. I had actually already talked to some dog trackers cause I was going to, 
basically just have somebody meet me out there. So that way, like, again, it might be an easy track, but I'm just going to pull out all the stops right from the jump instead of going out there and, you know, wait until I run out of blood and then try to line somebody up. So, so re- I, really quick, I want to interrupt you. So like, yeah. are you, you're, you're away from home now for, this will be the 14th morning. Uh, this, that would have been the 14th day of the season. Uh, that's like day 16 away from home, I think. So, yeah. So <laughs> like, what was your mindset? Like, I'm like, was your mindset like, I'm going to go until I kill something or was like, what was your, well, my wife told me not to come home till I kill one. So, I mean, she, she's awesome. Um, but I mean, basically like if I didn't kill the night that I did, I was, I was going to hunt the 14th and then I was going to drive home that night. Like I, I was out there for so long that I literally watched it go from summer to fall. It went from all the leaves being green, you know, a lot of the beans still being green to the, the leaves were starting to fall. The leaves were turning yellow and red. The, the beans were almost all brown and yellow, like, and, and where all the fields that they had cut the wheat and the canola, they had, you know, they'd planted uh, like winter wheat or cereal rye or something like that. And that was all starting to germinate. So the deer were starting to hit those fields. So like it was like, it was right at the end of the patterns I'd been watching and it was about to be a, an enormous shift in like fall patterns. So I was basically about to call the trip like the very next day, regardless. <laughs> That's so crazy, dude. So yeah. yeah, you're really, you're just really out there. I love that. Yeah. So basically like, you know, I'm shooting these giant expandable broadheads because, you know, they give you a lot of room for air. Like you hit a, you, you get a, you know, the only good thing, in my opinion, a small fixed blade is good for is like a shoulder hit, which, you know, I'm not even, I don't even think that would have saved me the first year, but here we are. Like, I know it's somewhere mid body. I don't know where exactly, but like, I know this deer is dead. So it's like, I got to find this deer and I'm just terrified. I'm not going to find the deer. The deer is going to be dead regardless. And I'm going to have nothing to show for it. I'm, you know, no chance of recovering any meat and definitely, you know, no, like no, no rack or anything. And then I'm going to either have to come back at another time in the season and drive 20 hours across the country or, you know, just eat my tag. And so anyways, the dog tracker that I had talked to was going to come out, but they had work. So they weren't going to be able to come until like late afternoon the following day. And I didn't want to wait that long because it was getting up to, it was getting down to like the thirties at night, but it was getting up to like the mid sixties during the day. So for meat's sake, I I wasn't trying to wait till the following afternoon unless I went out there and like absolutely couldn't, you know, so I go out there to look in the morning and go to impact couldn't find much but i didn't really look super hard um i what i didn't also want to do is like booger up the dog track so i didn't want to just like wander around looking so my plan was to basically look at impact and regardless of what i found i mean if it was like a heavy blood trail i was just going to follow the blood trail across the field but since that buck he stopped for a minute before he walked into the the woods. So I figured if I could again, find that spot where he was standing, like that would be pretty telling if, you know, there's a bunch of like bright red lung blood, bunch of bubbles in it. Like he's probably not far. So anyways, I go to impact and I start walking around the edge of the field and I look up and I see what appears to be at like a hundred yards. I'm like, I am pretty sure that is antlers and a rib cage. And so you're at I, point of 
point of impact? Basically, I'd, I'd started to like walk around the corner of the field. Just I was trying not to walk up all the way across the field because they had planted like cereal rye or whatever cover crop, and I wasn't going to walk on the field unless like there was good blood to follow. Mm-hmm. And again, I also didn't want to muck up the, the like if you are going to use a dog, the more you interfere with your scent or if you were to like step on the trail and like take that scent and you know walk around elsewhere like it confuses the dog so up to this point like i was just going to be like super conservative until i like see where he walked into the woods and see what kind of blood looks like there so anyways i i start walking around the corner of this field and i look up and i i see my buck and i get my binos up and i just see like like a carcass basically and again i i mean it was the the days are pretty long this time of year so like i shot him and it was like later in the evening i went and found him like earlier in the morning and basically what had happened is he probably died not too long after i lost sight of him and then the coyotes like drug him back to the edge of the field and picked every like there was not a piece of meat on him dude it was pretty gruesome and like you know are you serious like I'll send you a picture privately. It's not something I was going to post on social media or anything. Like it looks like he'd been there for two weeks and like buzzards were picking away at him. Like they picked him 100% clean. Like it was basically the head and the antlers and then just a skeleton. Like it was, I, I honestly, I walked up there and I kind of got emotional after like that was literally six encounters. It took me to kill that buck and you know 16 days away from home and everything and all this work and you know i have such a respect for these animals and i just like feel terrible that like i didn't give this buck the quick i mean i think it was a quick death but like the fact that the the meat went to yotes and you know wasn't riding a cooler back with me and i could like fully like um kind of like embrace everything and you know have the the positive feeling that comes with harvesting an animal like it was just like i was excited that i found the buck i was like devastated at the results though like i was super bummed out so i like sat there for a while and was just like a little bit emotional about the whole thing and like i mean there was there's no salvaging me like i'll send you a picture when we're done here um so i basically like you know tagged the buck cut off the head and packed up camp and then ripped home 20 hour drive and you know like i don't have any you know i'm gonna euro mount them and hang them in my office and you know like kind of honor them that way but like just did not feel the same as what a normal like successful hunt feels like it was really is a big bummer so like that's the most amazing but anticlimactic ending trust me dude like i couldn't take any pictures not that you know it's, it's not even like a bragging, like, look at me type of thing, but like, I wanted to have pictures just for the memories. And like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I snapped a couple with my cell phone and, uh, that was it. Here, I'm sending a picture right now. Yeah. So like, I, I guess a part of me thinks that you shouldn't be very, um, like, I know what you mean. Like you're, you're you feel like somebody came into your refrigerator and took all your milk and ate your cookies. And then you came home yeah. and found out it after the fact. And it's like, man, like that's really disrespectful, but like, maybe that's not a good example, but, <laughs> but like, I know what you're saying. Like it, like you the, shouldn't kick I, yourself for it though. Cause it's really uncontrollable. Right. I mean, I think you made the right well, play. 
like the the answer would would have been to make a better shot and like to have a definite you know know exactly where you hit him and yeah so like with the situation how it played Holy out like shit. yeah dude <laughs> oh my god there's nothing on him yeah nothing that's unbelievable yeah it was a big bummer dude like that is unbelievable there must have been like a complete i heard attack. i did hear some howling before like before those bucks came out but like i mean there's coyotes everywhere and like i've I've only had, I think, one other instance where they got a deer and they just kind of like nipped at his butt a little bit. I've never had anything like remotely close to this. That is absolutely incredible. Dude. So, so like if you if like, obviously the answer would be make a better shot where it's just spraying red blood and you know that it's like you watch him go down and you go get your deer and everything's good. But like with the situation how it played out, like I don't think I would have changed anything because your your options are like I could have went in there went poking around that night even if i waited four hours and i could have still bumped that buck never to be recovered again and you know never know what happened to him or wait until morning be conserved like the saying is when in doubt back out like it's again it's like pretty standard protocol like you know let them wait till morning and in this case like again i don't think it was the wrong answer but it's it's tough man wow like i'm I am, I'm curious from like a, like there had to have been a pack of coyotes. Oh yeah. There had to have been a bunch. And, and like, there was just, I mean, like he didn't die in the field. So he probably, my guess is he probably walked into the woods, either died right away or bedded down and then died. And then like the coyotes must have pulled them back out into the field. Like from a biologist standpoint, like I'm curious if that's normal because that seems like, are there bears in the area or like that's unbelievable? You know what? There are bears in the area, but I don't know that there's any bears in this area. But like one of the guys literally saw a bear. Another guy got, one of them destroyed his, his trail camera and got pictures of a bear and another guy had pictures of a bear, but I don't know that there were in this area, but that'd be, and I, I didn't honestly look too hard at like, I mean, I was so bummed out and focused on one thing. I didn't like, it wasn't like I was looking at tracks to see how many coyote tracks or if there's bear tracks or anything, but like, that's an interesting thought. Like what if it was a bear? That's fascinating, man. Like I've, I've had, um, one time I've recovered a deer and it had like, you know, bite, bite marks on it, but it wasn't like a, you know, it was like very salvageable still. Um, but that is I'm blown away. I didn't realize that that was part of the story. Yeah. So that's why there's no gripping grins or trophy shots or anything else. And honestly, like it's kind of, it's, it's going to force me to be a little creative and wrapping up the video when I post it, because I think you show it, man. I I know you maybe feel like you did something wrong, but I, I don't, I don't think you did. I think that that's, that's incredible. I think that's like an incredible, like thing that happened in nature and like that's it's fascinating i think people would find that very fascinating yeah i might have to yeah it was was a bummer so that's that's kind of how it went and then i just literally went home packed up i you know kind of cleaned up the skull and got the brains out and everything and skinned them and like jetted home and been playing catch up ever since now and now it's full-time getting ready for Ohio opener and 
week and a half here. So, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. So the Holy spirit buck, I, I refer to this deer a lot because it's like, I don't know, a lot of things happen on that, that hunt, but like in terms of, in terms of the moment that you wanted at the end, like I had that with that deer, like it wasn't, it wasn't a clean recovery and I had processed the way that that hunt should go in my mind so many times. And then when it happened, it was completely different than it didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. It wasn't clean. It was messy and it was very like, it was loud and it was, it was just like not, not something that you picture. Right. And so I completely get like being very upset at that harvest moment where you're there and it's like, you want it to be a certain way. And like your wife wants you to bring home meat to the new baby and all this stuff. Like that's an incredible ending to a really long 14 day away from home, 16 plus day hunt that you're absolutely just grinding and sleeping in a tent. Like that is a crazy, crazy story. Like I, that's unbelievable, man. That's, that's yeah. really glad I mean, you shared that. It's definitely bittersweet. Like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm super proud that I, had the the stick to itiveness to uh, I mean there like don't get me wrong there's plenty of times where it's like what am I doing out here like I should just go home like do I even really care to be out here like I got plenty of hunting ahead of me you know kind of like the fun was taken out of it at a few times but at the end of it I was like super proud that I stuck it out and you know punched my tag and stuff it's just yeah it's just there's still a, a sour taste in my mouth over everything yeah no I mean I I Truly, man, I, I think you you played it by the books. Like I would have done the same thing. And I I really think you gotta show that. Like that is so fascinating. And it's like it's almost like an oxymoron. Like you you grind it out, you made it happen, you got the deer, and then you get to it and it's like <laughs> you got robbed. You got robbed yeah. by the coyotes. Like you got absolutely robbed. Somebody came and robbed you. It's hey, if anybody, if anybody wants to do some predator hunting, I got a couple good spots where there's <laughs> apparently a lot. I'm honestly blown away by that. I really am. Like, I think you should, you should, I think you should exploit that photo. That's incredible. Like there's, it's just incredible. Yeah, probably. I probably will. I just, I've been, I think the thing that I'm beating myself up most about is that like, I mean, things happen in bow hunting, things happen quick. Like you know, deer are just incredible how fast they can move and everything else. But like the fact that I put poor shots on back to back deer in one trip is, you know, I'm, I'm just beating myself up over all that. And, you know, there's not, again, it's not always your fault. Um, I, I try not to blame my equipment or circumstances and situations. Like I try to be accountable. So I, it gives me control over things, but like I, in my, in my head, like I messed up twice that trip and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things you gotta learn from and, and move on. And, you know, hopefully here in Ohio and, you know, the rest of the season, like when I do, if, if I do get a, an opportunity, like there's nothing I want, I don't care how big the buck is, but there's nothing I want more than to put it, you know, right through the lungs, watch that thing take off like a bat out of hell and tip over and you know 75 yards like that would that would make my whole season i'm honestly probably gonna try to shoot some does early season just uh it's like you know you're a basketball player it's like a you know you get into a slump like at some point you just got to see the ball go through the net a few times and kind of get your swagger back and i i might try to do a little bit of that early season just kind of get my head right and get some some reps yeah i couldn't agree more i'm 
I'm proud of you if that means anything. Like that's a that's Thanks, a dude. super grueling. Like I think you're never gonna forget that hunt. I really don't. I think that has a lot of lessons in there, and it's just like it's just like an oxymoron. Like I said, like at the end, it just it's it's incredible how hunting is like one of the only cool things that you can do. It's like one of the only sports, if you want to call it a sport that you can do where it's like very uncontrollable, just a lot of uncontrollables. And like you, you did, I, I think you did everything you could to control that. And I think the listeners, our listeners are going to love this story because I mean, the majority of them I think are, you know, Midwest folk and this just gets the juices flowing, man. I mean, this is, this is what it's all about. Like hunting season is very much upon us. It's, it's happening in a lot of places and your story, man. I, I love that. I, that jacks me up. Like I'm, I'm planning in my head, a, an early season hunt right now for next year. Like I'm, I gotta have these experiences. Like that's incredible. So I appreciate yeah, you uh, doing all yeah, this man. and sharing the story. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on to be able to, to share my story. I haven't, you know, it's one of those things I kind of like compartmentalized everything and drove home and like, haven't thought too much about this whole trip. Um, I've been just caught up being dad again and husband and um you know maintaining the house and back to work and stuff like that so it was it was fun to kind of like hash everything back out and walk through the thought process and you know i i've never in my entire life you know you kind of hear stories of people that have a lot of history with certain bucks but like to have six encounters with the same buck and then end up killing them is is just incredible and just it was cool to it was just he was a very uh worthy adversary to, to you know is is a good chess game and you know again i'm i'm still bummed out about how things ended up but ultimately like got an arrow in him and punched a tag and not that that's all that matters because it doesn't but you know i definitely have some feeling of accomplishment there yeah dude like i said if it means anything like i'm I'm genuinely proud of you because I, I know how those hunts go. They're tough. They're mentally fatiguing is, is what it is. And lots of times, like, you don't know if you're doing the right thing. And, um, man, that's, I think that's such a cool, that's a cool story. I don't think you'll ever forget that. And that's, what's cool about it. Um, well, but yeah, man, well, thanks dude. That means a lot. Would you, uh, you know, give you a chance to plug anything that you got going on? I know you got a social media page, you got a YouTube page. It's really, you know, awesome. Um, probably going to have that hunt on it at some point. You want to let the folks know where they can check out your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have that hunt up. Um, my goal is by like, we'll see when I can get it done. It's a lot, it's, you know, 14, 15 days of footage. So I, it can be a lot of work, but I'm trying to get that up in the front half of October. Um, but my, I'm mainly on Instagram and, on YouTube, uh, next step outdoors is my channel. Um, it's just kind of documenting my, my hunts and, you know, the gear prep and all the things that I've, I learned along the way. I'm just a normal guy like you guys and love bow hunting and deer hunting. And, um, I just try to share as much as I can to help shorten the learning curve for anyone else out there because, you know, things have not can't, they've, they've not come easy to me. And, uh, I've worked really hard to, to get to the position I'm at in, in the hunting world. And, uh, if there's anything that I can do to add value or help you, or if you guys have questions or, you know, I've looked at, you know, people send me maps and I'll help them try to figure out where they should sit or where they should scout. And, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to help people out because I've had a lot of people help me out along the way as well. Yeah, definitely. I'll vouch. She, you know, Aaron and I, we went to the same college. We played hoops at the same college and, uh, it's been cool. Like 
I feel like we're boys just because whenever you drink a beer with somebody in college, you just, you know, you're, you're closer than just friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate your time, man. Awesome story. And I really hope that you decide to post that because I think people find it super interesting. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Perfect. Perfect.